Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It feels like it's holiday weather out there, so it's got a little crisp in the air. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> there you Man, go. Man, that That's is all nice. Get. That's all you get. All right. Well, maybe the follow-on concert this Friday, maybe at 7 p.m. Eastern time, come there join Greg White live in concert. But hey, things are going good, though. Big show here today. Greg, today is the last buzz of the year. What a crazy year, huh? For you, maybe. <laughs> oh. The last on-air buzz. Well, <laughs> well, folks, you're in the right place. If you have been joining us regularly here on yeah. Mondays at 12 Eastern time, thank you. And if you're new to the buzz and all that we cover here today. Welcome, and we want to hear from you throughout the show. So we're going to be talking about a variety of news and developments across global business. And Greg, if anyone out there is listening to our replay, which we usually drop on Fridays, what would you encourage them to do, Greg? Hit that bell and hit that subscribe button on YouTube or follow us on your favorite podcasting channel, device, whatever. I'm going to go with it. Yeah. I am going to go you with think it. about sure. that. I like YouTube. We put it, you can see that I put a lot of effort into my outfits. So I think people should see this. We put the ties away a long time ago, didn't we, Greg? And thankfully. Yes. All right, Greg, we got, let's see here, four stories to get into. Yeah. And I think one of the stories we're going to start with is probably got everybody's eyes and ears and attention. And of course, that is what is going on over in the Red Sea, right? So. Yeah. In the last few days, we've seen a variety of companies pause their shipping through this critical waterway due to attacks on vessels by Houthi rebels. So far, Evergreen, Maersk, MSC, Hapag Lloyd, and British Petroleum, BP, have all paused any shipping activity through the Red Sea, including that choke point that is the Bab al-Mandab Strait, also known as the Gate of Tears. Yeah. And some of these vessels, Greg, as you know, have been rerouted all the way down and around the Cape of Good Hope, adding tons of time and shipping costs there. So, Greg, I'd love to get your take here on what we're seeing and how long you think it's going to last. Who knows? This is an effort by the Houthi rebels of Yemen, which they effectively run the country, heavily supported by Iran in protest of what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians in Gaza. And at first, these were only attacks on ships bound for Israel. But it has since expanded, including an attack on a U.S. warship, laughable, that shot down all 14 of the drones that were headed towards it and shot down another drone headed for a merchant ship. I mean, this is not a joke. They have actually hit some of these ships with cruise missiles and with drone attacks. These are one-way drones that are basically kamikaze drones to attack these ships. And these companies, you know, rather than potentially lose a ship or all of the shipment, you have chosen to go around this area. And this isn't, you know, this is an area that's often, let's just say, contested. And, you know, it's an area where piracy is common as well, at least in that sort of general area, not that specific strait, but that general area is is also rife with piracy. Mm. 
as you know, a lot of these rebel groups try to fund themselves by stealing things. It's uh, one of those things we would call a disruption in supply chain, right? That's right. They keep on coming. Yeah. And I think this continues until we do what we should about Iran, mm. which will never happen. So it continues forever. Yeah, man. Well, we're all hoping, of course, and praying that the region can find at least a temporary moment of peace based on what we've seen over the last three or four weeks. It's just been some of the stories that come out of the Middle East have been heartbreaking. So, but that aside, these disruptions will keep on coming. And of course, that's our role, our job to navigate all these disruptions that uh, are just as certain as death and taxes to keep going back to the Benjamin Franklin quote there. All right. So second story here. Some folks are starting to wonder, will Macy's follow the path of Sears or Bed Bath & Beyond or other retailers? Great read here by our friends at Retail Dive. As many analysts agree that Macy's is more and more in need of a company turnaround and transformation. So get this. Global Data Managing Director Neil Saunders was quoted in the article as saying, quote, Macy's struggles with the fundamentals of retailing and its recent sales performance underlines that it continues to lose market share and relevance in an increasingly competitive market, end quote. So after selling some of its flagship stores, Macy's still runs about 722 store locations and owns, Greg, 316 of them kind of outright, including the valuable real estate they sit on. Some retail analysts are wondering if Macy's will consider next steps such as close a bunch more stores. I think they've closed about 170 locations since 2016 or get creative with all the real estate that the company owns, which Sears tried to do, or maybe even take the company private. So Greg, I cannot wait to hear your take on what Macy's continues to persevere and try to fight through. Yeah, Macy's continues to persevere as one of the worst run retailers in the history of retail. Back in the 1800s, they were really very good. Since <laughs> You know, the last several years, they've gone bankrupt multiple times. They've been on the edge of oblivion multiple times. Each time they get bailed out because the power of the brand is so substantial. And I think, frankly, $8.5 billion, which I think is the latest offer to take them private, for some people isn't that much just so their kids and grandkids can go to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. But this is a horribly run organization. Their merchandising is terrible. It's funny, I was just looking at, they try to position themselves as a premier retailer like a Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus, but they have all the sort of middle tier brands. So they still want to be the Macy's they used to be and their merchandising, the product that they have just doesn't support that. They should make a decision to either sell premier brands or lose the premier label and just become kind of a step above target, which is really what they are at this point. So, and that's okay. Frankly, I think there's a space in the marketplace for that, but they're mismarketing that and it's to their detriment, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I like Gary's <laughs> Gary's assessment, <laughs> the McDonald's of retailers. It's a hodgepodge of merchandising. It always has been. And periodically you can make it work with promotion. They use a bunch of brands that you literally cannot sell for full price. Brands that still exist that 20, 25, 30 years ago were meaningful. Tommy Hilfiger is a good example of that. But, you know, those are all brands that are just licensed now, right? There's no real designer behind that. People are just licensing the label and slapping it on whatever products they want to put on. So that's okay. It's just you have to market to your market. And, you know, in Herald Square, I don't think people are used to buying Target-esque kind of products, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, they have routinely done this. It's funny, when we decided we'd do this article, I started digging around to try and figure out how many times Macy's has been bankrupt. Okay. 
And I can't get beyond three or four, all of which are in our lifetime or actually much less than our lifetime. So they've been routinely poorly managed. It's a pretty difficult solution because the real estate is valuable, but it's also a huge burden on their balance sheet. Mm. So there's a financial answer here, and it's probably going to do with divesting of either the retail operations or of the real estate and then leasing it back. Mm. Options, options. But going back to your, one of your central comments there, make a decision and commit. You can't be all things, all persons out there, right, Greg? It's a difficult position to be in because they're always riding the razor's edge. It seems like, Scott, it was less than four years ago we were talking about them, what, asking employees to take a pay cut or something like that because of tight funding. Back right. in 2020, they decided they were going to close 25% of their 125 stores. And even prior to that, they had some challenges back in 2016. So they've been swirling the drain for quite some time now and really just need to jettison the current management, restructure the company, and then figure out what to do from there. Yeah. Well, we'll keep our finger on the pulse and see what direction they go in. What do you call the parade, though, if it's not the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? I mean, really? Right. Truthfully, no matter how terrible this organization is, I'm thankful that companies keep coming in and trying to revive it. Yes. And restructure it so we know what to call the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Right. <laughs> Amongst other reasons. <laughs> to give you an idea, this is literally the company, okay, that took America off the barter system for retail. This is the kind of innovation that they used to do. Took America off the barter system for retail, invented the retail Santa, invented decorating your windows for Christmas season, right? Invented the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Their marketing has been genius. R.H. Macy, one of the most visionary marketers of all time. Right. The founder of this company is one of the people who founded NRF, the National Retail Federation, because right. Macy's and Gimbel's and Bloomingdale's used to get around, get together after Christmas, have a few cold beverages and talk about what the season went like and ideate on how they might do better as individuals or collective retailers in New York City. This was a company of innovators. It's lost that brand tragically, unfortunately, but got to keep them around. Right. So that square that you mentioned, Greg, that's that store there. What was the name of that square you mentioned? Herald, H-E-R-A-L-D square, Herald Square. So if folks, if you're watching us here, that's what this image is from. And if you see the big old star that Macy's known for, a lot of times it's a red star. Well, Greg mentioned R.H. Macy. That star comes from a tattoo that R.H. Macy had before he got into retail. One of the things he did was, I think it was whaling. It was fishing. I think it was in particular whaling. And he got a red tattoo. And that's where the star for Macy's came from. But as Greg mentioned, incredible innovator. He also, Greg, to add on to that list you just shared, the idea of, of course, outstanding customer service, but in particular, trying to feed customers while they're in store to keep yeah. them longer. That was yep. one of their innovations at Macy's. So many. He basically invented tailored clothes in the U.S. anyway. Yep. Roland Hussey Macy, one of the greatest retailers of all time. Agreed. Born in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Died in Paris, France. Okay, Greg, we'll need to do like a greatest hits look back of 2023 at some point. But yeah. we're sharing a couple anecdotally with y'all here today because this webinar, speaking retailers, right? Big old retailers like with Macy's or well, Supply Pike, big old. That's a highly scientific qualification there. It is. <laughs> so Supply Pike has been doing really interesting work out there. They work with a variety of companies that do big business with retailers like Walmart and Amazon and Target and others. 
And they joined us a few months back to share some of the ways that you can get paid, but also get better. Mm. So you can make life easier when supplying the retail behemoths. So in this webinar we did back in September, we focused mostly on how to work better with Walmart. And Greg, one of my favorite parts of this webinar, and it sounds so obvious, but it's just one of those eureka moments that stared you right in the face. You know, Walmart and all those big old retailers out there, they want you to perform well. They don't want to have to hit you over the head with fee after fee. They want reliable suppliers that are successful yeah. and profitable. Right, Greg? They do. And, you know, Walmart, let us not forget, is still the largest retailer on the planet, this planet, Earth. We don't know about other planets yet, but we know they're the biggest on Mars because nobody's on Mars, but they're the biggest retailer on the planet and their e-commerce is growing faster than anyone else on the planet, faster than Amazon, faster than Alibaba. Now they're all much, much larger, of course, but recall a few years ago, pre-COVID, they bought jet.com, which was an up and coming retail e-com platform marketplace to challenge yeah. Amazon and no one or no one is more equipped to challenge Amazon than Walmart. They are today's retail innovators, and there's a lot of power in being networked into their marketplace. Well said. And especially in this economy, because more and more people are starting to shop at Walmart because of the economic conditions in the States. A lot of people are moving to Walmart because of not just the perception of low prices, which is true, but of the reality of low prices and, frankly, the efficiency of their supply chain. Yep. We've talked to some of Walmart's execs about that. Well said, Greg. We sure have. Doing some really cool, innovative things. And I got to tell you, as a regular customer, I pop in there once a week, once every couple of weeks. I think your customer service is getting better. I really do. Well, the scenery in the stores is hilarious. I mean, what you see in the stores, we've all seen whatever of Walmart, pics of Walmart or whatever they call that. It's kind of a free-for-all in there. But I'll tell you what, they do have a lot of stuff. I mean, they are probably... You know, we talked about whether Macy's would go the way of Bed Bath & Beyond. I mean, you can buy everything you could have bought at Bed Bath & Beyond in a Walmart store. And I say that as a former Walmart hater, right? I hated what they did to the landscape when they would come in and put in one of those 100,000-foot stores and all that sort of thing. But the utility of a retailer like Walmart is undeniable. Their ability to innovate and to bring retail to places where it has not been previously and to bring affordability to places that truly need it or desire it. It's not that infrequent that you see a Mercedes or two parked outside of a Walmart store these days, honestly. That's true. So they are a force to be reckoned with and a great leverage point if you've got a product that you want to get into retail. Excellent points there, Greg. And of course, all those big successful retailers like a Walmart depend on their suppliers Check out this. If you're interested in this kind of stuff, you're interested in optimizing your performance, avoiding fees, getting sustainably better, getting paid now while you're getting better, check out this webinar on demand from September. Okay, Greg, moving right along. Our third story. We're going to have a little fun with our fourth story, so y'all stick around. We're going to be talking adult beverages and New Year's Eve coming up for our fourth story. But before we do there, we got to do our homework here on this third story, which right. is all about newly released manufacturing industry data for November. Now, Greg, Stick with me here. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't handle more than a couple decimal points, so I'm going to try not to lose myself here. According to the Federal Reserve, manufacturing output in the U.S. rose 0.3% last month, November, which just missed a 0.4% increase that many economists thought the sector would hit. A big chunk of the gain was the automotive industry getting back to normal after the highly disruptive labor strikes. In fact, 
if you take motor vehicles and parts out of the equation for the November numbers here in the States, the U.S. manufacturing industry decreased 0.2%. In year-over-year numbers, overall factory production is down 0.8% in November 2023 versus November 2022. But there's a little bit of good news, Greg. A little bit of good news if you go looking for it. A few specific markets have shown strength and boosts in production. They are computer and electronic products, aerospace, communications equipment, semiconductors, which is probably an obvious one for many, and mining, to name a few. Now, of course, Greg, we've talked about it. We've got our eye on it. A lot of business leaders out there in the manufacturing industry and elsewhere are keeping a close eye on the potential for the Fed to roll back some of those interest rates hikes in 2024. We'll see. But Greg, your thoughts on what we're seeing out across manufacturing? Yeah, well, you know, like you said, the underlying trend is still softening, right? And automotive manufacturing is unquestionably going through a peak because they have pent up demand and pent up production because of these strikes. So once that levels out, I don't know what that will mean for manufacturing generally, but it's unquestionable that the economy is slowing and consumers are tightening their belts. So, you know, I don't know about manufacturing in total. I feel like that's going to slow. I feel like automotive could lift that up because it was so hard to get a car for so long. And banks are holding back on selling the masses of repos that they have, from what I'm hearing from a lot of dealers. So there are a lot of used cars that are not on the market because the banks want to wait until their fiscal year is over before they dump all these dead assets on the marketplace and crush their stock prices. I don't know what that will mean, but car prices are already starting to come down. At least they're negotiable again. So the market is filling back up there and you know, as is typical, we talk about the whiplash effect a lot in supply chain, as is typical, the automotive companies will get their production running again, just in time for a downturn, or, you know, a slowdown, at least. So I'm concerned from that standpoint. But I think there's a lot of necessity in what's coming. And we don't know what the feds will do, because the feds don't know what they will do. One fed president says four reductions next year, one says two, One or two or three say, wait and see. We haven't seen inflation recede yet. They keep representing it like it's receding. The pace of growth of inflation is slowing, but inflation is not receding yet. We have not seen prices turn down yet. And we got a little bit higher bump than, you know, last month than we expected. So there's just a lot of cross signals. Everybody's got a an opinion. I saw literally opinions, Scott, from different investment banks. The S and P five hundred as low as thirty three hundred at the end of next year, and as high as fifty eight hundred. That is a pretty big delta between people with equivalent capability to analyze the stock market. Wow! And you know, a lot of that is dependent on what their take is on the impact of rate hikes and whether those are built in, and whether the economy will slow slowly or slow rapidly or even begin to slow. And part of the challenge is because as inflation continues to raise prices, even as consumer demand slows, it doesn't slow the overall growth of the economy as rapidly because prices continue to rise. So I think you have to look at unit sales as well as dollar sales to determine what the pace of the consumer is out there to determine what will happen along with all of those other factors. I hope everybody is as confused as I meant for that to be, because this is what economists go through and this is what investors go through and this is what the 
federal bank goes through to try and analyze all this. And you can see where it, there are so many inputs. It's very, very difficult to determine. But in the end, as I always say, the supply chain, and I would argue the economy, begins and ends with the consumer. So as goes the consumer, so will go manufacturing, so will go pricing, e.g. inflation, and so will go the economy. So Greg, all of that to our final story of the day. I told y'all we're going to have a little fun, I think, and hopefully not make too many people sick with this fourth story because, you know, we got New Year's Eve coming up, Greg, and many folks, perhaps all the amateurs though, I'm just going to put that out there, Greg, all the amateurs maybe, are going to be stocking up on their favorite adult beverages to celebrate the holidays. Now there's going to be a unique addition to the wealth of choices to select from. In this interesting collab, PepsiCo and spirits maker Empirical teamed up to produce a new spirit that tastes like, hang on a minute, is this right? Doritos Nacho Cheese Dip. Wow. In fact, Empirical's website says the new beverage captures, quote, all the indulgent flavors of your favorite nacho cheese in liquid form, end quote. But Greg, it ain't cheap like Taco Bell is. It's going to set you back 65 bucks for a 750 milliliter bottle of a nacho cheese flavored spirit. So Greg, question for you, would you be up for a shot of this or is that a hard no? Your thoughts? I despise flavored booze. I don't like fireball. I don't (laughs) like flavored vodkas or whiskeys. Well, I shouldn't say that, Scott, because there is only one flavored booze that I like and that is moonshine, what they call lady shine which I'm not afraid to explore my feminine side, flavored moonshine, because moonshine is basically like drinking rubbing alcohol to me. And having a flavor in there makes it consumable. So I love apple pie, right? There are a few others. Granddaddy Mims, you know, with your father-in-law, we've had, may have had a few sips of Granddaddy Mims. That's right. Flavored shines. And those are quite good. But aside from that, I'm not a big fan. I really feel like they've missed the mark with Doritos. It feels like in this age that we're in that Doritos flavored weed would be (laughs) not only a lot more appropriate, but a lot more efficient because you could arguably cure the munchies while you're smoking dope. So (laughs) I'm not sure why somebody didn't go that way. But no, I think This one in particular is possibly the most disgusting thought I've had around a flavored alcohol ever. I think it's a terrible idea, but you know, somebody will do it. That's right. I do not disagree with you, Greg. I'd add this. I don't disagree with any of y'all, but I would be willing to do just one taste, but I ain't going to do it for 65 bucks for and be stuck with the bottle, Yeah, which no one else will probably want to mix a drink. I should have checked out Greg. What are their serving suggestions? You know, I wonder how they're proposing you mix it with or, you know, what would you think, Greg? What comes to mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, maybe it's a nice compliment to taco meat. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. What other than weed, what do you usually eat nacho? I mean, Dorito, no, I don't mean you personally. <laughs> right. For any of you who smoke weed out there, let us know. what do you eat along with Doritos when you've got the monkeys? Whatever that is would be a great compliment. That's right. Right. That's the $65 question. So, hey, PepsiCo out there, Empirical out there. Hey, prove us wrong. Choose a bottle. We'll kick the tires and give you some feedback. Maybe. No, we won't. You (laughs) will. I won't. (laughs) Nothing is going to get me to drink that. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, folks. Man, this has been an incredible year. As we shared on the front end of the show, this is the last buzz 
for 2023, at least in content generation form. Good. There's some other buzzes I think will be involved over the next couple of weeks, but it's been a wonderful year here at Supply Chain now, a record-breaking year in many ways. Yeah. And Greg, you know, beyond our team and the whole supply chain global fam, of course, we're very thankful for all of our audience members out there that chimed in, just like all the our great friends here, Gary and Alan, T-Squared, PB, Glormar, Mark, you name it, all the folks out there. You know, you are the reason we do this. And to have all of you out there and more and more every day come with us on this journey, yeah, we're very, very grateful. So Greg, what else would you add to that? Yeah, well, I mean, we love to share our time, our knowledge, our opinions, insights, whatever you want to call it with you. And we love to get them back from you. We have such highly informed, educated, thoughtful, innovative, open-minded audience all the way around the world that it's a lesson for us every time we get on the air as well, right? I think, you know, sharing this really amazing craft with people all the way around the world and talking about where it's going and how it's impacted and how it is impacting business and the planet and people is so satisfying and still interesting, though not as interesting as right after the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. Had to mention that one final time before right. crash into the new year. You know, I think that supply chain really matters. And as we've experienced, as, as some of our research has shown, supply chain has the biggest impact on a brand, on its contributions, on its impact, and on its profitability and top line and brand identity of any aspect of the business. Sales promises, supply chain delivers, right? Where did that come from? I like that. I thought I'd turn those things off, man. <laughs> Sales promises, supply chain delivers. Well, I mean, it's true, right? I mean, and, and you don't build a brand or brand reputation or brand identity or brand value without delivering. You can't just promise. That's right. To be Coke, it really has to be the real thing, right? <laughs> so right. not just say it's the real thing. So true, Greg. So true. Eloquently stated as well. All right. So folks, as we wrap up a little bit earlier here today, thank you all again for being with us in journey. Big things, big, 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 big things ahead. 2024 is going to be an exciting year on so many levels here at Supply Chain Now and beyond. Big thanks to our entire team here that makes this possible. Big thanks to our audience out there. Greg, I'm going to challenge, you know, we got a standard challenge, yeah. but I'm going to challenge y'all with one other thing here during the thick of the holiday season. And we wrote about this the other day. This little phrase we've got, which has become a bit of a mantra to try to help center ourselves during the toughest of days when people are making this crazy. We all deal with that. We all deal with some degree of crazy during the holiday season, right? But PTK every day, patience tolerance and kindness. Try to approach those folks out there. You never know what the person serving you coffee or bringing you food or, or just your colleagues are going through. Mm -hmm. So practicing a little PTK every day is a great best practice. And with that said, Greg, folks don't sleep on us. We're not closing. We're just flipping to the next year. We've got tons more great content. Greg and I are back in the studio this week with two yeah. great interviews, right? But Whatever you do, folks, whatever you do, Scott Luton, Greg White, our whole team challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.